We are in John 10. Uh, if you guys can open your Bibles, turn on your apps, whatever you need to do to get there. We're going to stand and we're going to read God's Word. Um, so Steve is in John 10, 1 through, 1, 1 through 21 today. Um, if we remember from last week, uh, it was the chapter before that, um, and the Pharisees were investigating the man who was, uh, whose sight was given back by Jesus. Jesus healed him and gave him sight. And then he was in this argument with uh, the Pharisees about being blind, um, spiritual blindness, essentially. So this continues on from there, and so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees still. And, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep uh, pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for that reading. Um, I'm going to try to raise this. I always have problems doing it the right way. Uh, I have a word that God has already spoken to my heart and that he is clearly speaking to us this morning. And I hope that as we just look to the Bible, we will um, be, be encouraged this morning. I want us to be encouraged because I think that many of us really need uh, some reinforcement and some bolstering of our, our faith. I wrote down a question 
Have you ever felt like it's just not worth it to follow Jesus? Maybe going through a big trial. Maybe enduring some suffering. Maybe you've wondered if the Lord loves me and if he leads me, then why is he allowing me to go through this? Maybe your transformation and conversion to Christ is recent and you feel like, man, life was so much better and it was a lot easier before I came to Christ. But when I came to Christ, it got hard. I didn't have all the problems that I have now before I started following Jesus. Maybe you struggle with some disappointment because your Christian experience isn't all that you had hoped for or what had been told to you in terms of God has a wonderful plan for your life. And the things that other people seem to experience. Or maybe, just maybe, you feel vulnerable as a follower of Christ in this day and in this age and in this world. Our text today helps us to answer a question if your question is that, why bother? Or what's it all worth? Why should I even follow Jesus? Our text answers it very simply and absolutely. And I think there's a lot that we could cover in our time, especially because we want to cover just about the entire chapter. But if I'm speaking to you today with the words that I feel that God has given to me, it is not time to study another pharisaical argument. It's not even time to really dive deep into the deity of Jesus Christ. These are things that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. The truth of the matter is, is that this morning, I believe that we need some good news. We don't need to spend time looking at the Pharisees rejecting Jesus again, looking at the fact that there is this resistance constantly to him by those who hold to religion as opposed to a relationship that he offers. And so we're going to have a moment of clarity for those of us who believe this morning. But we need a little bit of reinforcement in our faith. Why bother? What's it all for? What's the point? Because he cares about what's happening to you. Because he cares about you. Jesus, the good shepherd, cares about you. Let's set the scene a little bit. It's already been stated twice, even just here, as was read to us, that Jesus is still speaking to the mixed audience that was present from John chapter 9 when he had healed the blind man. And for those of us who were here, you remember the Pharisees were there and they cast a man out of the synagogue for believing in Christ after the healing. And so in this scene, which happens on the same day, the Pharisees were there and we know that because Jesus' teaching results in yet again another division among them by the time you get to the end of the chapter. But picture this, also the man who was born blind is there. 
The 12 disciples and others who are believing in and following Jesus are also there. When I look at that and I see that mixed crowd, I don't think Jesus's words here were aimed at the Pharisees, even though he has words for them. He began and he was speaking to his flock. Talking to his sheep, he has words for them, words of warning, words of instructing and words of assuring them and all those who follow him. He warns them about about false shepherds so that they won't follow another foreign in a false voice. He instructs them about himself as the gate or as the door in our modern translation. And he instructs them about being the good shepherd. And he basically says, I provide some things for my flock and I care about my flock. And he assures them of his sacrificial care for his people And the fact that he will, not might, he will accomplish his purpose for and in and through them. That's the scene. That's what's happening as Jesus is speaking. And I want to zero in on the most important truths in this text about Jesus, namely that he is the door and he is the good shepherd. That he gave this beautiful truth while contrasting himself with self-righteous religious leaders who were the polar opposite and diametrically opposed to caring for the sheep. In a sentence, this is what Jesus is saying. It's only in me that you find safety and security. It's only in Jesus Christ that you and I will find safety and security. Those are going to be my only two points today, safety and security. The first one is this. Jesus provides the safety we need. By now, you've already recognized that this is where we find Jesus's third and fourth I am statements. We've looked at I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world. And now he says, I am the gate or I am the door. And he goes on and says, I am the Good shepherd. Think with me for a second about that first one and about what it means even in your life. Think about your home. Think about the place that you live. What is it that all of us relies on to keep us safe? Out of all the elements in your homes, the walls, the roof, the windows, and everything else, I can think of nothing more clearly that you rely on to keep you safe than what? The door. That's right. We have an alarm system like many of you in our home, but is that what keeps us safe? Not really. It alerts us to what's happening around our home, right? When you go to arm the system, what is the number one priority? The door. Imagine with me for a second, if you're not too afraid to do so, that you're in for the night, the house is settled, that everyone's in bed, things are quiet, And you just fell asleep and you know that the kids are in bed and all of a sudden you hear a chime. The door is open. What does it mean? Things are not safe. Jesus didn't say he was ring or ADT. He said, I'm the door. 
speaking to those who are following him, some brand spanking new in their faith, just got healed, just came to sight. He said, I am the door. Now, to truly understand this, we have to join Allie in her study. we got to move away from the home and the house analogy and, and the alarm systems that we have. And we have to actually look and stay with the text. Throughout all of the scriptures, there are these shepherding metaphors that are often used of the leaders of the people of God. And it's not always in a positive light. Not always in a positive sense. Jeremiah chapter 2, for example, talks about priests who didn't know the Lord or searched for him. What an oxymoron. Priests are those who are supposed to know God and lead others to him. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, he has strong words for them. They're likened to shepherds who commit serious sins against the Lord and against his people. Ezekiel 34 begins this way. I'm going to read a few verses to you. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel said. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with the force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, this is the Lord speaking, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. It's not only in the Old Testament that we find these shepherding uh, analogies and, and uh, pictures. During the first century, the failures of the shepherds of the gods People continue. That's what you see when you see Jesus confronting the Pharisees time and time again. The lawyers, the ones who are supposed to be the teachers of the law, the ones who were the priests in town, the ones who were the Pharisees. They are the shepherds. They were supposed to be leading God's people and feeding God's people and caring for God's people. You think back to the crowds that Jesus encountered in Matthew chapter 9. You might be familiar with it where he says, right, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He described them. He said they were harassed and they were helpless, implying that they were being abused and mistreated and cast down violently by those who were supposed to be shepherding them. So when you come to John chapter 9, which most of you looked at two weeks ago, you realize this happened on the exact same day. You see a horrible example of the failure of shepherds. The man born blind in John chapter 9 was excommunicated from the synagogue for his faith in the Christ who had just he he healed him. 
They excommunicated him from the synagogue because he believed in Jesus Christ. He put his faith in Jesus after Jesus opened his eyes. And if anyone should have recognized that this was the Christ, it was the Pharisees. They were the experts in God's law. They knew the Hebrew scriptures and they were even serving as shepherds among the people. However, not only did they deny him, they also sought to silence anybody who affirmed him. Anybody else believes in him? These false shepherds insisted that they should be put out. So that's what happened. Their failure forms the backdrop of Jesus' statements. I am the door of the sheep and I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. When Jesus claims to be the door of the sheep, here's what he's not saying. He's not talking about a house as we just learned. Ali did a wonderful job painting that picture for us. He's saying that he is the gate or he is the door of the sheepfold. Hopefully you saw that structure that she drew out. Because contrary to Texas, in ancient Palestine, Jewish shepherds brought their flocks to a community fold. I actually love the picture of being two churches together, two flocks in one fold. Very, very, very good picture for us. Very analogous this morning. But anyway, Jewish shepherds would bring their flocks back to a community sheepfold, and they did that for protection. And so that structure that was a walled structure, all these sheep would go in and they would mix and they would mingle and they would go to sleep and they would rest there. And they needed protection overnight because predators such as wolves and thieves would try to come in and do what? Harm the sheep, kill the sheep, take the sheep, steal the sheep. And not unlike our day, they most often came by night. So there was what's known as this sheepfold. Yeah, this large structure that kept the sheep away from danger. And it had but one entrance. The door. The gate. If Jesus is the door of the sheepfold, if he's the gate, if he's the way in, then we're to understand his statement in today's passage as simply meaning this. Very simple truth. He is the only way to safety from the enemies of God's people. Jesus is the only way to safety from the enemies of God's people. You guys know there's still fierce wolves out there today, right? You guys realize there are still wolves Today, they're called false teachers. If I can read to you Paul's words to the Ephesian elders at the end of his ministry and life from Acts chapter 20, this is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Same word for bishop or pastor or elder. He's called you to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The biggest deception, 
that a wolf or a false teacher could bring about to try and lead God's people away is to say that there's another way in. God has a fold, a sheepfold. There's only one door. There are many forms of a false teaching to say that there's another way in in our day, aren't there? Teachings that draw people away from the sheepfold. What do you do when you twist something? He said they twist. They speak twisted things. When you twist something, you just take it, change it, distort it. It's, it's still maybe even it, but you distorted it. You perverted it. You switched it up. You take it and you make it crooked. You say Jesus is a way, but he's not the only way. All religions lead back to God. I don't want to be judgmental. Jesus is a good teacher. He's not God. He's not the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's just a good prophet. There were many of them. Yes, Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth, like everyone else, died. But he didn't resurrect. How can you have a resurrection? We only need to tap into his good energy. We, we have God in ourselves. You know the vibes. Come on, y'all. <laughs> this statement that Jesus makes in the center of our text, I am the door, is closely linked to another one of the I am statements. Which one do you think it is? Yes. Star said it. I'm the way. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. That's why we say Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or the Lord, but he couldn't have been anything else. And what we believe about him being the way and him being the door, him being the only entry point, the only access point, has huge implications for our lives and for our safety. And where we'll put our trust, and what we'll look for, for safety. To find safety in God's kingdom, we have to come in the name of Jesus Christ and him alone. Would you agree? Maybe you're not tempted this morning toward another religion or a false teaching. Maybe you're not tempted by a, 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 you know, someone in, in wolf in sheep's clothing. But I know for all of us, the fearful state of our world leads us to seek safety in all kinds of other things. Some of us seek, uh, seek safety in the suburbs. Some of us seek safety in a spouse. Some of us seek safety in a bank account. Some of us seek safety in the hope in the government to keep us safe. You name it. We know all too well, though, that none of these things can actually keep us safe and promise and deliver on the safety that we need. Only Christ 
provides the ultimate protection for all, from all that harms us. God gave us Jesus as the door, as the gate, as the entry point, as the guard, as the protection to keep us safe in a world of so many dangers with hearts that are prone to wander like we sang. What a mercy that is. What a mercy. God is covenant faithful. He loves all of his people. And when I think about God's covenant faithfulness shown to his people throughout all of history, the whole story of redemption, I cannot help but to think of just these doors of mercy that pop up all across the text. Think back to me to Noah's Ark having determined to bring this catastrophic judgment on the whole world except on one family, God commanded Noah to go and do what? Build a boat because there's a flood that's coming. Nobody's ever built a boat. Nobody's ever built a ship. Nobody's ever built an ark. God said, go build it, and it's going to provide safety for you and your household when there is a flood after 40 days and 40 nights of rain. In Genesis chapter 6, verse four, uh, verse 16 God told Noah to set the door on the ark's side. Build it all up, but put a door on the side. After he was finished, Noah and his family went safely inside the door, and the scripture says, the Lord, all capitals, Yahweh, shut them in. <laughs> Safety. God provided a door of mercy to save them amidst damnation and judgment. We see something similar many years later after the judgment of the flood when God poured out his wrath against sin by judging Sodom. And once again, the door of Lot's house was made to separate those who were to be destroyed from those who were to be delivered. And just like God himself shut the door to Noah's ark, his angels shut the door to Lot's house. Mercy. And many years later in redemptive history, we're told about the judgment of the death of God's angel that was brought against the firstborn of Egypt at Passover. But once again, God provided a door of safety in a time of judgment, did he not? Moses instructed the people of God to sacrifice a lamb and to mark the doorposts of the house with the lamb's blood. I said I wasn't going to preach today. <laughs> It was everyone who was behind the door marked with the blood of the covenant that delivered, that were delivered from death as the angel passed over it. All over the Old Testament, we have these gospel truths and these foreshadowings of Christ that show us there was deception and there was destruction on the outside, but there's deliverance on the inside because of the door. Jesus just uses an analogy of the sheep pen and he says, I'm the door. If you want to be safe in God's kingdom, you have to get behind the door. You see, what we need to be concerned about 
honestly, is what? Our eternal safety. True or not true? Not the safety that we may have based on what the government can provide or our bank accounts can provide or our friends can provide, our relationships give us, our clear conscience on whatever this decision or that decision in temporal things. We need eternal safety. And only in Jesus can we be safe forever from all of our enemies. And our biggest enemy is sin. Not the false teachers. It's the sin that actually goes after what the false teachers got to say when they speak to our itching ears about how we can be prosperous and how we might have a good and a great life and so on and so forth. Your sin is a wolf and a thief like nobody's business ten times over against anyone else. Your sin distorts your thinking and it deceives your heart. It twists it all up. But praise be to God in Christ. He opens our eyes like the man who was born blind. This is all same day and it's meant to be an illustration right there for the people. He opens his eyes and he restores his ability to see the Christ for who he is. The one who gives us access to God. Doors provide access. He's the only door. He's the only door. And I told us a few weeks ago, there's somebody behind the email, the only door at iCloud.com. They would love to hear from you if you have questions about this. I don't think anybody's emailed yet. I think you should do it. If you have questions about this. For the sake of time, though, let's move on. The door makes us safe. But Jesus provides the security that we need. We have safety. We also need security. In a sense, we've kind of already broached the subject talking about safety, but we can't leave John chapter 10 without bringing attention to the assurance that Christ offers for all who believe in him. This is one of the uh, chapters in my old like King James version Bible that's just like underlined and highlighted and then it's highlighted over that and then it's circled and it's just like I don't even understand it anymore but back then this was like yo I need to know this John chapter 10 provides so much assurance to us four times in these verses verse 11 verse 15 verse 17 and verse 18 Jesus repeats that he lays his life down he says he lays his life down in the first two he repeats that he does it for his sheep. And in the last two, he emphasizes that he lays his life down so that he may take it up again. It's not just the death of Christ, but the resurrection that he's telling them as the good shepherd, I'm selfish. I'm not selfish like these others who have abused you and harassed you and who might even be hired hands. That's the answer to the question in ancient Palestine. I don't know what they do in Texas. But in, 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 in Palestine, you had a hired hand who was a gatekeeper who was the one who would lay down overnight while the shepherds went back to their homes because it was a community fold. And when the, when, the, when the shepherds came back, oftentimes they would see that a wolf did come and that hired hand, the Bible tells us, saw danger and he ran away. He didn't have no concern for the sheep because they weren't his. But Jesus... He owns the sheep. He knows the sheep. He knows them all by name. And when danger comes, he lays his life down for the sheep. Come on, somebody. 
There's a lot to unpack in the death of Jesus Christ. We could talk about the fact that Jesus' death was selfless. You know, the good shepherd, he died voluntarily. He said it in our text. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. He wants us to know and he wants us to feel his deep and his selfless care for us. We could talk about the fact that Jesus' death was sacrificial. He laid down his life for the sheep (laughs) in their place as a substitute. That four is important in your Bible. He died in our place. We should have faced God's righteous judgment. But Jesus intervened in his own blood, giving it voluntarily to pay the debt on all of our behalf. We could spend time talking about the fact that his death was specific. He laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus died for the sheep that he knows. Come on, y'all. In verse 26, he tells the Pharisees, y'all don't believe because you don't know me and because you're not mine. That's the reason why it's hard for you to get it, because you're actually not part of God's fold. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. And it's what comes kind of before and on the heels of this that brings the security that we need. You know, verse 26 is beautiful. And even it goes into, again, more of the argument. But let's go 14, 15 and 16. And then I'll read 28 and 29. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there is one flock. There will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Jesus died for those whom the father had given to him from all eternity. And he promises that he won't lose not even one. He won't lose not even one. This truth should assure us and give us the security and the confidence and the hope that we need. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're one of his sheep for whom he died, and he promises to keep you into eternity. He promises to give you life eternal. The greatest evidence in our text is verses 17 and 18 where Jesus repeats twice that he not only will lay down his life, but he'll also take it up again. Not only lay down his life, but he'll also take it up again. Many may claim that they would lay their lives down, but I don't know anybody who can say, and I will take it up again. Only Jesus is the one who could legitimately claim that he would resurrect, and his resurrection verifies that he really did secure your salvation, friend. That God the Father accepted the payment that was made for your sin debt. When he talks about knowing in verses 14 and 16, it's the most intimate of knowledge. 
It's actually the same word that is used for when Adam knew Eve. That knowledge is talking about them coming together as one. I mean, you don't know anybody like you know your spouse. He says that he knows us, and it's also possessive, right? He says, I know my own, and they know me. He knows us, and we know him, even like the Holy Trinity knows one another. It's an eternally loving relationship. He says, I know them, and they know me like me and the Father have always known each other. The good shepherd gives us eternal love and a close bond in relationship that is secure, y'all. It's not sometimey. How many of y'all need to hear this morning that Jesus ain't sometimey? He's not the way that you and I are towards our friends, the way our family is towards us, the way people who make an agreement but then break a contract. No, his covenant faithfulness is not sometimey. We can be secure in the arms of the good shepherd because he's gone to the furthest extent to give us the salvation we need. And in that we find safety and security. Think about it. What we need is eternal security, isn't it? It's not just what you find with the ring system. <laughs> ring can't give you that. Jesus in the text said the hired hands, the ones who were supposed to be there, they're not shepherds, and so they can't give you that either. It's only him. Only in him. We only find the security that we need in him. Here's the big idea, and we'll close. Since Jesus is the door, and, or let me say it this way, since Jesus is the door who protects his sheep, and the good shepherd who cares for and lays his life down for his sheep, and secures his sheep forever, by the resurrection. We'd be crazy not to believe in him and to follow him. He's given them assurance in this moment where the Pharisees have excommunicated. You can't come back to worship God here anymore. Your family is not welcome here in the synagogue anymore. You see that they actually picked up stones to kill Jesus, which is a form of execution. They wanted to murder him on the spot. And somebody just had their eyes open and believed in him for the first time. The words that he said were assuring these individuals who Jesus would later say, the world hates me and they're actually going to hate you as well. He was giving them assurance. You know why we need that? Because if we take this serious and we take this out there, we're going to have some problems. Jesus is the only way is not politically correct, friends. Jesus is the good shepherd is not politically correct, friends. We find salvation in him and him alone. And outside the door, there's destruction and damnation and deception. But in here is the only place that you can be delivered. Not politically correct, friends. And the world hates that message. We need to be assured of its truth so that we would go and we would take it and be confident in it. Jesus is the door and the good shepherd. Bank your eternity on it.
I want to close with a call to action that extends a little bit beyond this and our own individual decision to believe. Just look back at the text with me one more time. The emphasis isn't only on this individual personal relationship. The sheep that he lays his life down for in verses 15, uh, 14, 15, and 16. The sheep is plural. The sheep is plural. And not only that, they are global. He says, I have other sheep, verse 16, that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They, plural, will all listen to his voice. This was the first time that he was talking to these Jewish individuals explicitly about the grafting in of the Gentile inclusion and saying that the family of God extends outside of what you can just see right in front of you and what your ethnicity and your religion gives you access to. And it's a big part of what got him killed. What I want us to see is that there was an urgency to Jesus's words. I must bring them also, not I want to bring them too. (laughs) Not I desire that they would come, not, hey, they might come. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold and they, I must bring them. And he said, they will come. When the shepherd of his sheep walks into the sheepfold in the morning in ancient Palestine and it's all closed up and the hired hand didn't run that night and he's laying there as the gatekeeper. The shepherds would come, two, three, four, five, six of them at one time, and they would call their sheep by their name. And one of the most fascinating things that you could ever see, you can actually Google or YouTube this, is when multiple shepherds are calling sheep from a one, among one fold, and the sheep know the voice of their shepherd and go towards him. They've been mixing and mingling and they're all lost and shuffled. There are thousands of them. They're all over the place. They've been put into all the corners of that whole sheep pen. But when he comes and he calls their voice, they come to him. One by one, from every corner of the fold, they hear him. They respond to him. If Jesus has that level of urgency about gathering all of his sheep from the four corners of the earth. I think that we need to carry the same level of urgency. Why? Because you and I are his mouthpiece. This text is bathed in a call for us to recover a heart for taking the good news that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd to every tribe and tongue and nation without any hindrance or question about that, but with excitement and with a boldness informed by confidence that he has other sheep, he must bring them and they will come. That's the reason why we go. That's the reason why we preach. That's the reason why we neighbor and we love and we preach. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. It's because Jesus is bringing people, his people, his sheep, into his flock and the fold of God. And he's left us here to do that. Not to have a great life. 
The abundant life that he talks about, even in this chapter, is a life that is filled with the fulfillment for being in God's fold and being Jesus' hands and feet. That's what he left us to do. So I want us to pick up that urgency and just think about the fact that I think we need to really believe the good news about who he is in a, in a deep way that makes it, oh, well, yeah, I guess I am going to take a risk because my coworker is asking me eternal questions. He's in crisis, and I don't know what's going to happen in their life, and so I actually will just go ahead and open my mouth about the good news of Jesus Christ, and I don't know what that's going to mean for me. Or I got this really good friend, and we've been buds, and we hang, and it's, it's so great, but I've never really been able to talk about Christ in that relationship. And now he's going off into all of these Eastern Coptic and or, you know, just there. He's, he's starting to leave the the, uh, the 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 historic, you know, kind of like just traditions of his own family. And he's looking for what is faith. And he's starting to go into, you know, things that are antichrist. Open your mouth and say something like we, we actually need to care more. And, and, and to begin to just speak, allow God to lead us into those places. I'm going to pray for us as we close. And I think the biggest prayer is that all of us would enter by the door, by the gate. We find safety in Jesus Christ and him alone and security, but also that we would then recognize that he cares about his people all over the earth. And so we need to we need to have that. God, this message could fall on all of our ears in different ways. Um, we trust that knowing who you are and what your mission is in the world and how you've left us here is never something that is, um, is old news. No, it is good news and it's worth heralding and proclaiming from the rooftops. I pray this morning for anybody who's been struggling or working through, am I really saved? I know I got saved. I know I've been baptized. I know I heard this. I know this. Like anybody who's working through that, that God, you would minister to them in the place that they need to be, that they would realize that you've promised eternal life and protection and shelter and safety and security. And we don't have to worry about or be anxious about whether or not you really do love us. And you really have saved us. Help us, Lord, to take that message to our friends and family and our neighbors. We're going to have some great tables, some Thanksgivings, some Friendsgivings, some birthday parties, some holiday traditions, some work parties, some Christmas gatherings, some New Year celebrations. I mean, there's a lot. And if we think about the people closest to us, the truth is, is that they need this good news way more than they need good food. And so help us, Lord, to bring the message of the gospel into our spheres of influence with a passion and a humility and a love that speaks the truth no matter what. We know that many people rejected you openly. We know that there were even those who stood by like the Roman soldier as you were killed, but that as you die, he says, surely this was the son of God. And so your grace is good enough to reach anybody, no matter where they are, 
And so we don't want to ever be prejudging. Help us to just realize that you have sheep from other folds. They, you must bring them and they will hear your voice. Use us, Lord, to speak your word. And we look forward, God, just to seeing you and being with you forever. And we don't want to be there alone. That's the reason why we want our friends and family to come to Christ. Help us, Holy Spirit. Convict of sin and regenerate hearts. Bring about new birth. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.